Amen. How'd you like to live in that house? Hearing all that sweet music. Woo. Glory. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, would you turn to Mark chapter 11? The triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into the capital city of Israel, into Jerusalem. The title of my message this morning is From Shouters to Powders and From Cheers to Sneers. From Shouters to Powders and From Cheers to Sneers. And boy, it took me an hour and a half to think up of that title. Jesus claims his messiahship, his kingship. The first three Gospels say very little about Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. But there are such hints like uh, Matthew 23, verse 37. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thy children? This indicates that he was making an appeal to the people in Jerusalem. And then in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, he stayed at Mary and Martha's and Lazarus's home when he was going to go into Jerusalem. It was located about 16 or 17 miles from Jerusalem. Bethphage and Bethany were very close to each other. Bethphage means house of figs. And Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived in Bethany. Now it is the, it is the, the uh, Gospel of John that covers Jesus' ministry in Judah and Jerusalem. I'm sorry, in Judea and Jerusalem. He tells us that Jesus was in Jerusalem quite a few times. And especially during these great feasts. When Jesus visited Jerusalem, his ministry differed entirely from his Galilean ministry. In Galilee, Jesus taught on many different subjects. But in his Jerusalem ministry, he focused on mainly one theme. And that is his messiahship. He spent time teaching that he was beyond any question the great, the long-awaited Messiah of the nation of Israel. And here's the reason for this. Jerusalem was the capital of Palestine. The temple itself was there. So Jerusalem was the hub, it was the central Jewish life and worship center. Now the population of Jerusalem was not small. In fact, the, uh, Josephus, the historian, tells us that it might have been over two million people. But there were thousands upon thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem. 
and especially at the Feast of Passover. Josephus, the historian, also tells us that 256,500 lambs were slaughtered and sacrificed during the Feast of the Passover. And we all know that there's about 20,000 priests that would be in the temple working and doing their priestly duties in the temple of sacrificing and offering prayer and so on and so forth. 20,000 priests alone. And so this was a large operation. This indeed was the perfect place for Jesus to come and proclaim his Messiahship to the world. Jerusalem was to hear the truth of God's Son and of God's great love for the world. The people of Jerusalem and all born thereafter would hear this from Jesus. And they would be without excuse. Now there's no louder declaration of our Lord's Messiahship than the triumphal entry. It is listed in all four Gospels. You can't miss it if you're looking for it. He was deliberately claiming that he was the Son of God. The living God, Matthew 16, 16, says that Jesus is the living God. He's the Messiah, the great creator God. And so the triumphal entry was something else as well. Jesus was dramatically warning the people. And here's what he was saying to them. They must change their concept of messiahship. They had this preconceived notion on what the Messiah would do, what he would look like, and what he was coming. They were thinking in terms of him coming as a national hero, a military hero. He was going to liberate them from Rome, the, the, the tough, under-the-thumb-of-Rome situation that we're in. He was also going to deliver them from the Gentile Gentile nations. But he wasn't, he didn't come that way. He wasn't going to save the Jews from their physical and financial bondages. He didn't come with a lot of pomp and circumstance. I love pomp and circumstance. When our daughter graduated from law school, I sat up in the, in the back overhead and there was a catwalk on each side that came down and bagpipers came from the back and they split up and they walked down. I don't know how many there were. Oh. Then the profs came with their gowns on and their ribbons and all their galia and... and, and, and it was just wonderful, and I sat up there slobbering like a baby, saying, oh, this pomp and circumstance is great. And I'm sure that's what some of the Jewish people were looking for. But Jesus didn't come that way. He didn't come as a military warrior or king. He didn't come to defeat with the sword. He rather came to bring peace and in Scripture, we notice the humbleness, the lowliness of Jesus. 
Matthew 8.20 says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. You know, sometimes we complain. We complain that, oh, why did... Why does God allow me to live in this little rinky-dink home? Why, does, why doesn't he give me more? Why doesn't he do... We, we complain. Why doesn't he give me physical things? Why doesn't he give me, you know, a new car instead of me driving around this Ford? <laughs> By the way, I hear, I hear they're going to put heaters on the bumpers of the new Fords. That's so when you push them in the winter, you don't get your hands cold. But Jesus had nothing. Wherever he walked, he used his walking mobile. He didn't even have Nikes. He had to depend on friends for lodging. Up to the very end, Jesus, the Son of God, had no place to lay his head. He walked wherever he went. Except here in his triumphal entry, Jesus was riding on the donkey, the foal of a donkey, into Jerusalem. And that was even borrowed. In Philippians chapter 2, I call it the kenosis passage, the divine emptying of Christ. He could have came to this earth with thousands of heavenly hosts ushering him down into this earth, down a ladder or whatever, however. But he didn't do that. He came. He was born of of a virgin. And he was born in babied in a little stall, in an oxen feeder, in an animal pen. And so Jesus was humble, and Jesus was lowly. He made himself, it says, of no reputation, took the form of a bond slave, bond servant, which means bond slave, and came to this earth in the likeness of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death on the cross. The cross. Wow, what a loving Savior we have. What a kind Savior. He wasn't going to Jerusalem to overthrow the Roman government like a lot of people thought. He was coming as king of peace, king of the world. He was going to save the world spiritually and eternally, not physically and military. Then he would return to bring peace and salvation to all men everywhere. He had to come first as the king of peace, and then he would come later on as the king of conquest. Now in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11 is the beginning of Jesus' last week here on earth. We call it Holy Week. He spent the night before with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He had raised Lazarus previously from the dead. The last week of Jesus' life on earth is known as Holy Week from the earliest of times by Christians everywhere. The triumphal entry was the first event of this week. Now this morning I want to share with you four different pictures, four different uh, scenes, if you will, 
that I'd like for you to ponder over. In 11, 1 to 7, Christ came in peace. In verses 8 through 10, we see the triumphal entry. In verse 11, we see the investigation of the situation. Jesus came obediently. And then the last part of that verse 11, we see where he would seclude himself off into the city of Bethany. Let's begin with scene one. We're going to read verses one through seven. And here we see where Jesus came in peace. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage in Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said, of the, said to them, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied, one on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside of the street, and they loosened it. Verse 5, but some of those who were standing there said to them, why are you do what are you doing loosening the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Boy, as many times as I read this, I think about how Peter and John were so obedient to doing that for the Lord. They never questioned it. They just went and did it. And Christ had a reason for these details, for these detailed preparations to take place. Peter and John must have loved him very much to untie a colt that was not even theirs. In the Old West, they would have been shot for wrestling. wrestling. Maybe they were wrestlers too, I don't know, but for wrestling. Peter and John did not argue. They just did it. They, they didn't resist. They responded to Jesus as though he were the king. Now, they didn't understand Jesus, what he was going to do and what was going to take place. And maybe their timing was off, but they knew that he was Messiah. In the Old Testament, in Zechariah 9.9, it says, See, you... Uh, your king come to, comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus did that with this colt to fulfill this prophecy. Many, many years prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9. There were four things that were said here. Number one, Jerusalem was to be told in a threefold warning because she expected what was not going to happen. Did you ever see some things and think about some things and you thought about them and then you were wrong? There were things that were not going to happen? He was not a national hero and he would not save them from Rome. He came first as the king of peace and then later on he would come as the king of the conquest. Number two, another reason, he would come different than what they expected. He was already Messiah. He was already Messiah. They were still waiting for Messiah, and the Jews today, some of them are still waiting for the Messiah. But he was already here, born 
on earth of a virgin. And then he was coming in meekness, not in a whole bunch of pomp and circumstance, not as a reigning monarch. He was coming to win men's hearts and souls spiritually and eternally so that we all might join him in his kingdom forever someday. Number four, he came sitting on a donkey in a colt. Not a white stallion as a military monarch who just won a victory would do, but he was on this colt. But as a king of peace, riding on this colt, which was a symbol of lowliness and, and a symbol of peace and sacredness. This beast of burden that was used to carry man and to be a service to uh, maybe to carry men was a symbol of peace and sacredness. A symbol of Jesus' peaceful intentions. Now what a scene this was. But many missed the real picture. Scene number two, verses eight through ten. The tri- triumphal entry itself. Let us read those verses eight through ten. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees, thus palm tree, uh, palm tree leaves, Palm Sunday. Uh, and the trees that spread and, and spread them on the ground. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, and I want to say this very closely, I'd love to shout, but I don't want to wake up these little babies or scare these little babies. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of, of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Whew. Wow. This is a very great multitude, as we said. Thousands and thousands of people were proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah, the son of David who came to deliver them from Rome and Gentile rule. Two million pilgrims or more gathered for the Passover feast. Some were coming from Jerusalem. They heard that Jesus would be coming into Jerusalem, and they came from Jerusalem and started walking to meet him. And others were coming from, from um, Bethage and, and, and uh, the other little town there where, uh, where um, Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha lived. And then there were some that were coming in the way. And so there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people that were coming. The news of the Lord Jesus Christ got around like a bomb scare. People were coming from all over just to get a glimpse of Jesus. You know, the thing that brought Jesus really into the light was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now, you remember that story in John 11? Jesus arrived to comfort Mary and Martha, and he got there, and Mary and Martha were truly upset, and Mary fell at Jesus' feet, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the scripture says, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And so Jesus arrived at Lazarus' tomb, 
with Mary and Martha. And uh, Lazarus was dead four days already. Now, I don't want to say he stinketh, but the Bible, one of the translations says he stinketh. Let's us just say he smelled real bad. And, and that's what Mary, uh, Martha said, Lord, by this time he smells bad. But Jesus commanded the tomb to be opened, and he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who died, came forth. He came bounding out on uh, wrapped his feet wrapped in his, his his head wrapped with grave clothes. And as I was sitting at my desk yesterday, I was thinking, how can I do this? How can I bound here like a guy that was dead with grave clothes on and everything? And I had it in my mind how I was going to do that, but the body just don't want to do that. <laughs> and you don't want me to do that either. I believe in illustrating as I preach. Anyways, the tomb was open and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who died, came forth, bound head and foot in his grave clothes. Now the Pharisees and the high priests in the hierarchy of Israel no doubt were there, some of them. And they became infuriated. They got jealous. You know, jealousy does strange things to people. And they began, it says over in John eleven fifty three. they began at that time to plot to kill Jesus. In fact, they didn't even want to see Lazarus walking around. And over in John 12, 10, it says, they even plotted to kill Lazarus. Wow, Lazarus didn't have a chance, not without Jesus. There was a multitude who turned around around from Jerusalem that came to meet him. There was a multitude coming from the other direction. There were people coming from the middle. There was a multitude. They were coming from Bethany and Bethphage and from Jerusalem and from the middle. It was like a ticker tape parade in New York. Remember John Glenn? Remember uh, President Eisenhower in the mid-50s? It would be like President Eisenhower was going to be coming in this ticker tape parade in New York. And people would get there ahead of time along the parade route three, four hours ahead of time. And they'd sit there and they'd be waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden, they would see the motorcycles with their lights on and and their sirens going, and they would see the motorcade. And then the president's limousine pulled around the corner and started coming forward. And the crowd began to be electrified. And they were excited with the news. He's coming! He's coming! President Eisenhower is coming! Or John Glenn is coming. And people were throwing confetti out of the buildings, and it was swirling down like snow. It was a great time. He's coming. He's coming. But then somebody threw a blanket on top, a wet blanket on top of the whole business. The Pharisees, the Israel hierarchy said to Jesus, Jesus, 
teacher or rabbi, can't you stop them from hollering so much? I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus said if they didn't holler, if they didn't cheer, the very rocks would cry out. Keep silent, ye mountains, you hills and you fountains, for this is the time I must sing. It's a time to sing praises to the rock of the ages, and this is the time I must sing. The very rocks would have cried out. But Jesus said, let them do what they're doing. Their, long, their Messiah, their long-awaited Messiah, the royal king of Israel, was now coming. And he was ready to let the, know, the world know that he was the Messiah. He was ready to let the world know that he was coming to claim his Messiahship. Verse 9, And those who went before and those who cried out after him, saying, Hosanna! And that means, save us now, or save now, we pray. See, many of them did believe that it was Messiah. Many in the crowd recognized Jesus as the Son of God. The world came, who, who came to rule and reign in the world. But they, I think many of them under, misunderstood the timing and the nature of his reign. The one who would heal the sick, who healed the sick rather. The one who gave the blind sight. The one who caused the deaf to hear. The one who cast out demons. The one who fed the multitudes. The one who brought even the dead back to life. Lazarus was coming. He was coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus the King, the Son of God is here. No wonder that crowd was elect electrified. And they, they did everything they could to just catch a glimpse of the Lord Jesus. They spread their clothes upon the ground. They, uh, the disciples put their cloaks on top of the donkey for Jesus to sit on. And he said, blessed is he who is sent with the authority of God. But you know what? This would change. Very shortly. And that brings us to scene number three, verse 11. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he looked around at all things, as the hour was already late. What a change from this electrified, crazy mass of wild people shouting. Now we see in this scene Jesus alone. And he's in the side of the temple. And he's just looking around. He's, it's kind of like if you go to the mall and you do people watching. I can't keep up with Pauline. And I, I sit out there in the common area. And so when I tell her I'm going to go and people watch, she knows exactly where I am. And, and here he is. He's looking around. He's alone. He's observing Scripture says he looked around, looked about at all things. The evening was approaching and he got tired. Just because he was God, 
in the flesh doesn't mean that he didn't get tired. And here we see that he stands alone. The point to all this is to see that he is doing God's will. He's doing God's will. It took great courage to stand there. You know why? Because Jesus was a wanted man. He was uh, one, probably on the, 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 the ten most wanted list by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Jewish authorities were seeking an opportunity to kill Jesus. They were more upset than ever because he had not discouraged the homage of the people along the way. This scene symbolizes that Jesus came obediently. He was obedient. What can we learn from this scene? Well, we can learn one thing, that we are to obey the Lord, no matter what the threat or the opposition. Number two, we are to investigate before entering into any situation that is threatening or involves corruption. Be careful, little feet, where you go. For your Father up above is looking down with love, so be careful, little feet, where you go. Test the waters. Test it out. See if it violates God's word. If it does, don't go there. Well, there's another scene, scene four, the last part of that, verse 11. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. Here he travels again and he goes out to Bethany. And this symbolized that Christ prepared spiritually. And I would say to you this morning, if you're sensing God, that God wants you to do something, make sure that you prepare for it spiritually. He retired for the night in the surrounding area of Bethany. No doubt he spent a good deal of time alone in prayer. I heard a song last night, Bluegrass on TV, and I think the song's name had something to do with when you're on your knees, it's hard to stumble. When you're on your knees, it's hard to stumble. And Jesus, even Jesus, went alone in prayer. Much lay ahead of him in the last week of his life. He knew what was going to happen. And he needed the strong hand of his father's support, of his father's upholding him. And we all need to remember what Jesus went through for each of us. Because he loves us. Sleep on, sweet Jesus. Pray and sleep. Sleep on, Jesus. Slumber in peace in the arms of your Father in his protection. Gain strength for what trials will be coming ahead in this week. The last week of your life here on this earth. The cross the shadow of the cross looms before you. People would soon perform rexicide. Rexicide. That means the killing of their own king. We see this group very shortly would go from cheers to jeers from shouting to pouting, from excitement to sorrow. The story of Palm Sunday makes 
little sense without the cross. People who wanted Jesus to be their king desperately also need him to be their savior. And if you have committed one sin in your life, then you need a savior, and I need a savior. An earthly kingdom would not be adequate. It would be temporary. Like all earthly kingdoms, they would come to an end. Babylon and Syria and Egypt and Greece and eventually Rome itself would fall. Jesus would indeed rule as a king. But first he must fulfill his immediate immediate task. He must be a savior of the world. Without a savior, all would be destined for hell. Most view Jesus as a failure and unsuccessful. People who fail tend to be embarrassed. Football teams who fail and don't go to the Super Bowl feel embarrassed. Baseball teams who don't win the pennant feel embarrassed. A few days later, on Friday, the crowd will be saying, crucify him, crucify him, away with him, give us Barabbas instead. They would shout and say more things like, get rid of that imposter who failed us. He's a friend of sinners. He calls himself God. He is a blasphemer. His blood be upon us and our children. From cheers to jeers. Even the disciples would flee from him. They did not grasp Jesus' role as a savior. Peter would deny him. Judas would sell him for 30 pieces of silver, which is a common price of a slave of that day. And then he would go out and hang himself. Most of the disciples scattered from him. He had not met the expectations. They felt betrayed. They didn't understand. Thank God for a few godly women that were there and for John. They didn't understand Jesus' role as a Savior, but they were there at the cross. There at the cross. They witnessed the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Savior become the sacrificial lamb of God. Died for the forgiveness of sins of all of mankind. Don't miss this like the Jewish religious leaders missed it. Don't mock Christ. Don't reject him. To not accept him is to reject him. Instead, accept him. Honor him. Praise him as your king, as your Lord, as your savior. Become a citizen, if you are not already, of his heavenly kingdom. This is what Palm Sunday Good Friday and Easter Sunday is all about. Next Easter, next Sunday is Easter. We'll get up, the birds are be, will be singing. It'll be about 85 degrees out there. Well, I guess I'm a dreamer, but hey, if you're going to dream, dream, dream warm. <laughs> uh, the birds will be singing. We'll come, and you'll hear shouts all around Minnesota and the United States and the world He is risen! And the answer of the 
Christian church is? He is risen. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Wow. Praise God. Become a citizen of his heavenly kingdom. This is what it's all about. Those who trust him and believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The saddest verse in the Bible, John 1.11. His own came to him and did not receive him. The, glad, the gladdest verse in the Bible is right underneath it. John 1.12. If we receive him, we become children of God. Would you bow your head right where you are just for a moment? I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But if you haven't received Christ and you're finally getting what this is all about, would you just lift up your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Anybody here, pray for me. I want to become a Christian. I want to receive Christ. I don't want to jeer, jeer him. I want to cheer him. I don't want to pout about him. I want to shout about him. Anybody here? Just raise your hand. Put it down quickly. Anybody? Don't let Satan sit on your lap. Jesus soon would be crucified for your sins and mine. Someday we'll have a true victory parade that only he is worthy of because he's coming back soon in all of his majesty and in all of his glory and splendor. Then people will say again, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And all God's people shouted, praise the Lord. Could we have our worship team come?
thank you for being here this morning. I pray that the Lord would give you a good afternoon and uh, give you much peace. And uh, how many are looking forward to saying next Sunday, He is risen? All right, amen.